And this is uh, what we do each, each Christmas season as the uh, choir so beautifully presents to us the message. We take a moment and reflect then biblically uh, on uh, the themes we are exploring, whatever they may be, during the Christmas season. So just as a reminder, as you turn here to Psalm 42, we are doing something a little different. But something that I, I really believe has resonated with many of you. Uh, I've heard a number of comments from you about last Sunday's sermon and this particular Christmas series, that we're just going to deal openly and honestly with the reality of Christmas. And that is, it's not always merry. In fact, in some ways, the burden to make Christmas amazing and merry and joyful and bright and happy only adds, compounds to what is the difficulty for many in enduring a Christmas season. And so we are going to lament. The Bible actually gives us voice to, to the nature of this kind of reality, the way in which the realities of life, the trials, the tragedies, the difficulty, the disappointment, the despair, the grief, the way this reality of life often finds itself wrestling with in our hearts and minds what we know to be true about God, our theology, our confidence in God's goodness and promises to us. And I think this is radically reflected in how we often struggle through the Christmas season. So last week we turned to Psalm 42, a great example of a biblical lament. The Bible does give us direction. How do we manage this? And in particular, during the Christmas season. Does the Christmas season, in fact, offer us some instruction in itself? The message that, that we celebrate and the message that we, that we rejoice in during the Christmas season does, in fact, address some of these key themes of our grief. And Psalm 42 is a great example of David, I believe, in the desert... His son Absalom has run him off the throne and out of the city. He has fled for his life. He is away from the tabernacle. He is away from the people of God. He is away from the festivals, the rejoicing, the rituals that, that were essential to covenant life. He's away from all of that, hiding out in the desert. And he, ex he expresses this burden and grief. He laments over his condition. While at the same time, in the midst of his lament, interjecting for us these, these statements of faith and confidence in the goodness and the promises of God. So, so how, how do we manage this? Well, last week we, we started with the first question that often rears its ugly head when we are struggling through grief, and that is the question of where? Where is our God? We noted last week the first four verses of Psalm 42 where David cries out, Where are you, God? His tears actually mock him there at the end of verse 4. Where, where is your God? David describes himself as a, as a deer panting for the water. And, and I kind of, I hope, kind of 
recharacterized your image of these first few verses. These are not sweet longings for intimacy with God. These are brutal words. A deer panting for water is about to die of thirst. A painful, long, excruciating death. David says, that is how I feel here. Feel like I'm dying. I'm away from everything that I know and love. And what makes it worse, the problem is compounded by his own memory. And is that not the case? Where David says, when I remember these things, I find myself burdened because I remember when I would go along with the throngs, with the multitudes. I would rejoice with the pilgrims. Here I am in the desert. So now, this gets us to the chorus of Psalm 42 and 43. I mentioned this last week. These these are clearly written, I think it really should be one psalm, and it's clearly written to be sung. We have a stanza, then we have a chorus, then we have a stanza, then a chorus, and a stanza, and then a chorus, the chorus repeating itself. And and this is it in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. So this is going to be repeated exactly like this two more times. So so David is going to reflect on his pain. He's going to offer some statement about the condition that he is in. And then then he's going to... He's going to deal with this question. He's going to give this statement that is both the question of lament and the confidence of lament at the same time. Note note first that question that he asked. So here's here's what he's going to do. If we go on to the the next slide, this is, and this is where we were last week, by the way, the promise of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. Where is God? Well, God is with us. So in light then of that, he moves on to this chorus, and it offers us two responses to our question, an honest evaluation of the soul's condition and a theological reflection on God's promises. So you notice that those are the two features of this verse, of the chorus that repeats itself. So first notice that honest evaluation of the soul's condition. David asked a diagnostic question here, right? Why, why are you downcast. Why why are you bowed down? Why are you brought low? If we were to use common language, why are you so down in the dumps? And then adding to that a bit of of an elaboration, why are you disquieted? Why Why are you so anxious? Why is it that you've got you've got these these thoughts that keep rambling around in your brain? Now, I, I, I take David's question here in a couple of ways. One, I think it's helpful just to, to use it as a, as a way to analyze ourselves. I, I don't mean to give you any kind of pop psychology here, but I do find this to be a helpful kind of diagnostic question. If you find yourself in the Christmas season dealing with intense forms of grief at times, or at least maybe just kind of in that... Uh, it was neither Happy Thanksgiving nor do I think it's going to be a Merry Christmas. You, you're just, you know, you wish you could close your eyes and wake up on January 2nd. Whatever the case may be, you find yourself struggling with, with these, these realities of the Christmas season. I think maybe you should just ask yourself the question. 
Why do I feel like this? Why, why is this such a burden? Now, let me give you one answer that's possible that's not so positive. It's another feature of a variety of the laments in the, in the, in the book of Psalms. And that is for some, there may be a disquiet, there may be an anxiety, not necessarily because of the Christmas season, but because you are out of fellowship with God. I mean, it is possible that some folks wrestle with these things at Christmas because now, now we're, it's kind of all up in your face, right? God with us, Emmanuel. We're speaking about the glory and the joy of the gospel that is reflected in the Christmas season. We find ourselves in some kind of sin, rebellion, complacency. The truth is, some may be disquieted here today because you're really not in fellowship with God. Now, this is not David's concern at this point, though he does state this in Psalm 51. Also a lament, but a lament about his sin. David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. I think for some folks there is a struggle because maybe really what's going on is there's distance between you and God. But the good news is the message of Christmas is the message of the gospel. And the message of the gospel is the means of being restored into fellowship with God. For those who may be here who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, the message of Christmas is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, so that He could make an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, so that in Him sins could be forgiven, so that in Him we could be made right with God. If you have never trusted in Christ as Savior, if you've never placed your faith in Him, could be that's why there is disquiet in the soul, because your soul is far from God. I would implore you in just a few moments we'll have a time where we will sing I'll be down front even after the service I'll be down front if you would want to know more about what it means to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ I would love nothing more than to share that with you maybe you are a believer though and you would say yes pastor that is indeed what I find myself struggling with something less than than meaningful fellowship with God and I would encourage you for your response to his word. Why are you disquieted within me? Why, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Confess your sin and know that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Know that God came in the flesh for that purpose and that the message of Christmas is the message of Easter and that is the message of the gospel and that is in fact your sin has been atoned for. But in some cases, you, you might say, well, I'm not perfect, but pastor, I, I don't know that, there's, you know that I'm really wrestling with rebellion. Instead, there's any number of griefs, any number of trials. So I'm going to do something right now. It's a bit of a swing, all right? If in asking the question, why are, you, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? If you're talking to yourself with that question, and in looking at your life, you are facing realities of deep pain and grief, and in particular, I want to give, I hope and pray, some relief to those who struggle with the realities of death during the Christmas season. If you're sad... 
because you miss a loved one. Whether recently passed or passed away years ago. But when it comes to this time of year, you find old emotions coming back. You, you, you remember those seasons with intensity. If that is you, there's nothing wrong with you. I give you permission. If you need my permission, to be sad about it. Because death is hard. Because death is a reminder to us that we don't really belong here. Death is a reminder to us this world is broken and this world desperately needs to be fixed. Dare I say, death is a reminder to you, your best life is not now. But it is to come. Oh, there is, there is a great day coming. Why are, you, why are you downcast? There could be any number of reasons. They could all be very legitimate. And I would suggest that what you do is you own that. Yeah, some of this is hard. But guess what? Chances are there's somebody sitting beside you, in front of you, and or behind you who feels exactly the same way. But it's Sunday. It's Christmas. We're all dressed pretty. Lights are on. And we're supposed to be merry. And truth is, a lot of us Feel the same way. It may not necessarily be death. It could be any number of trials or difficulties you might be facing. David's question is a good one. Why are you disquieted? It's good just to evaluate. Why, why am I finding myself struggling with these things? And the fact may be it's okay to struggle with these things if, in fact, these things drive you to theology. They drive you to believing the right things about God, regardless of your circumstances. So then I think there is a sense in which David may be talking to himself, like chastising himself. Like you do in the morning when you're looking at yourself in the mirror. Now come on, you, you talk to yourself in the mirror. I know you do, alright? I know every single one of you have done this. Every single one of you have looked in the mirror and you've talked to yourself. I talk to myself, by the way, all the time. My wife is, is often saying, what did you say? And, I, and I, apparently I mutter, alright? I mutter throughout the house about things. If I'm cooking in particular, in fact, I, I cook angry sometimes, alright? If things don't work out, and I, and I will mutter, and you know, so I'll have, Beck or the boys will say, what? What did you say? Oh, just talking to myself. Alright, so I can admit it. So you all do the same thing. And since David is looking in the proverbial mirror, it's chastising. Why, why are you so downcast? Why do you find yourself in the depths of this kind of thing? It is a warning to us that while our grief is real and we should be honest about it, we don't want to wallow in it. We don't want to wallow in self-pity. Instead, face our grief and do what David did here at the end of verse 5. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. I hope in God. And notice, notice what he's getting at here. I shall yet praise him, meaning I absolutely will continue in praise. Even though I'm not with the people of God and in the city of God, I still can praise my God. I can still hope in him because he's good. He keeps all of his promises. And when David says, for the help of your countenance, the language of countenance means God is, 
It means having your face toward somebody. David is saying, I may be out in the middle of the desert, but I, but I, I, I am praising God for the help of his attention. It's, it's Again, it's where we talk to ourselves theologically. Legitimately ask the question, deal openly and honestly, an honest evaluation of the soul's condition, then a theological reflection on God's promises. God's promises are not relegated to how you feel about them. They are true regardless. By the way, this is what the Christmas season does, right? Especially this language David uses here about hope. I mean, the Christmas season is a season of hope. Unfortunately, only believers can know true hope. Just like only believers can know true joy or true love or true peace. You say, Pastor, how can that be the case? Because all those things are only found in God Himself and confidence and fellowship with Him. The reason I have hope is not because of some wishful thinking. It's not because I, you know, I'm just you know, wringing my hands praying, oh, I hope everything's going to get better. I am without a doubt, 100% confident that the day is coming when things will be a lot better. It may not be this Christmas. It may not be the next. You may not experience it in any Christmas in the rest of this life. But the good news is the life now is but a mere blip on the line of eternity to come. And the reason why you can have confidence in that eternity to come is because God came in the flesh. He, he, left, he left the glories of the throne to become a man, the Son of God did, so that in Him, the punishment, the chastisement for our sin can be upon Him. And so this is good news to us. The good news of the gospel is what brings us hope, forgiveness with God now and to come forever. As we sing, we're going to sing a great song, I think, that inspires this hope. A song that is drawn from the hope of Mary's song, the Magnificat, this magnify the Lord. And why does she magnify the Lord? Because He who is mighty has done a great thing. So I encourage you, church, deal honestly with your soul's questions, but do so theologically. And may this song, I hope and pray, bring encouragement to your soul as we sing together. Let's stand and I will pray and let us sing together this morning. Father God, we do thank you for the hope of the Christmas season, for the truth of the gospel that that is given to us in what we celebrate this time of year. May we draw strength, even in the midst of our grief, confident in the goodness of your grace toward us in Christ. That's in his name we pray. Amen.